Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. In my homiletics class at Grace Bible College, we learned several things. We studied sermons for a a long time before we even had a chance to preach. Homiletics is the preaching class. We studied sermons, and we looked at all sorts of sermons. We read sermons, and we looked at all sorts of them. And we found that there were really two predominant types of sermons. The first sermon was the one that's too long. And the second sermon was the one that was just about right. And I'm hoping that today I'm going to hit the second one, the one that was just right. Uh, it's a beautiful day, and I don't, want to, uh, I don't want to take us away from a nice sunshine day. But we did learn, uh, actually, there are three types of sermons in general sense. There's the expository sermon, in which you, uh, you, you, you stay in the text and you get all of your context from the text itself that you're looking at. And you look at the history, and you look at the characters, and you look at the, the culture, and, and you, you pull everything deeply from that large block of text. There's a topical sermon, which is what you would expect. It's on a specific topic, and you go throughout the Bible to see what the Bible says about that specific topic. And then there's a textual sermon, which is based on a shorter passage, a smaller portion of text. And you stay there, and you, you see what it itself speaks into your life. And so, I'll let you figure out which of the three sermons is that I'm doing today, if, if, if you're game. But one of the, the primary principle in any of those sermons that we learned was, were these three things. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them. Tell them what you told them. Those were the three things. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them. Tell them what you told them. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter. Oh, I need to dismiss the children to Children's Church. So, as you're turning to 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to say that Peter somewhat follows this same approach. And you might want to think about, is Peter teach, preaching in his epistle? Is he doing expository work? Is he doing topical work? Or is he doing textual work? Because I found that one of those is true. And maybe I'll share that with you at a later time. Pastor Jim last week set the stage for us. And he gave us the context of First Peter. And he did an excellent job of opening up for us to understand the context of of the writing and who the audience was and and Peter's message. And he also opened up for us that there are some some latitude things that cross over into our dispensation that we we can gain from, we can learn from, we can grow from, because all Scripture is God-breathed. So he set the stage for us perfectly, and he challenged us to remember the power and the beauty of the gospel. Do you remember that? The gospel through faith the gift of salvation to those who receive it. Well, today we are going to look at 1 Peter, starting at verse 13, and we're going to be told what we're going to be told. And then we're going to be told, and then we're going to see where we go from there. Okay? Let's pray. Lord God, as we open your word, we thank you for the privilege that we have to open it freely. 
we thank you for that incredible gift. We thank you that your word has survived and pierced the darkness around this globe for millennium. We thank you for its strength and its power in our lives to, to transform us, to change us through the work of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that it is breathed by you. These are your words and not mine. And as we look at them, Father, I just pray that they will do all of those things, accomplish greatness in the hearts of your people for your glory, for your honor. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's start at verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So we're going to take this passage apart. And I love this because I said to Candace, this passage itself sets out the points that we need to look at. So let's take them apart as Peter introduces them to us. Prepare your minds for action. Um, this, Peter's message to us here in these verses starts with the mind, starts with our thinking, starts with our thought patterns. Peter immediately addresses how you think, how we think is exceptionally important. So we are to prepare our minds this is um, the nuance in the original text. The, the, uh, the word choice here has the, has the idea of, of uh, the long tunic of either a soldier or uh, anyone in the Mediterranean culture of the day of Peter's writing, taking their, their tunic and pulling it up and fastening it into their belt so that their legs are free so that they are able to, to do action. To, so it's an action word, even though our, it's our minds. We're, f we're supposed to prepare our minds for freedom, for mobility, for service, to be able to do the things that Peter's going to be sharing with us next. Okay? This, um, this is the same word used by Paul when he's talking about the armor of God and and putting on the belt of truth. It's the same word, cinching yourself up, girding yourself, preparing yourself for battle or work or action. The, the concept here isn't just military. It's agricultural. It's practical. The concept here is that the everyday things of your life need to be prepared for spiritual action. Everything in your life has spiritual application. Everything. This case is holy activity. We're then to be self-controlled. And I was kind of hoping oh, this is going to be one of the fruit of the Spirit, self-controlled. And I looked, and it's not the same word. It's not the same word. This, is, this isn't allowing God to work through us. This is our activity that Paul is talking about. This is us coming alongside of God and saying, I'm ready to work. I'm ready to do what you show me. I've prepared my mind for action, and now 
let's act. The word used here is nepsis. Say that word with me because it's fun. Nepsis. <laughs> Remember that word. It means alertness, sobriety, having clarity of mind. So it's partnered and paired with preparing our minds to have clarity, to have sobriety, to be vigilant, alert. That vigilant idea is also a sense of expectancy. Has God moved in your life this week? Rhetorical question. But you, you can answer with your, you know. Have you seen God move in your life? Do you expect you're going to see God move in your life this week? That's nepsis. Be watchful. Be aware. Not be so consumed with what's going on and the troubles in your life that God comes up and surprises you. But be watching for him. Be alert. Be prepared. Just clear out the distractions. Clear out the clutter. God is moving. God is moving. Are you ready? So here's where Peter really, I believe, anchors himself into telling them what he's going to tell them and then telling them and then telling us what he told us. Peter later revisits the concept of nepsis in chapter 5. And so I really want to dive into that later in chapter 5 when I have the opportunity to share from the, play, from the pulpit again. Um, I'm looking forward to that. We're going to examine that uh, on Labor Day weekend. And I was, I was just talking to Dan and Caroline uh, this morning, and I said, you know, uh, she, she, they said, oh, you're, you're sharing today? I said, yeah. You remember what Pastor Jim said the, the, uh, the Sunday after Easter is the the day where the fewest folk, the fewest church attendance, right? So I had the day after Easter, and then I got July Fourth weekend, which uh, which uh, I'm really glad to see you here. Really, it's really nice to have to have you here. And uh, I also got Labor Day weekend, so I am the holiday preacher, and uh, <clears throat> it's good to be here. I'm glad you're here with me. <laughs> Amen. Still in verse thirteen. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Set your hope on that grace. Now, there's a discussion among the commentators about this hope. There's, there's good discussion, and it's one thought is the discussion of this hope is that Peter is referring to an eschatological, an end time, the, the, king, the kingdom, the coming kingdom. That when Jesus comes to reveal the kingdom and he is speaking to his, his Jewish Christian audience, be prepared for that day, set your hope on that day. So that's, that's one of the schools of thought of the commentators. And, but there's, within the context of the language, Peter has introduced several different um, verbal nuances that lead commentators to suggest it also could be quite relevant to us right now, every day, all the time. That we're to wake every morning with this idea of the new hope, kind of what I was alluding to with Nepsis. Are you looking forward to seeing God move because of the hope that you have in Him and in Him alone? Do you expect to see Him move? 
Where I land on this is I don't know. I think it could be both. I think it could be either. Not very helpful, I'm afraid. But the message is, is clear for us is this applies to us, the body of Christ. There is always hope. There is always hope. When times are difficult, there is always hope. When your world is crashing down around you, there is always hope. When you don't sense God moving in your life, He's still there because He promised that He would never leave us and never forsake us. There is always hope. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And when they remain, that means they go nowhere. There is always hope. Uh, leave your finger in First Peter and go back to Psalms chapter 20. This idea of hope should permeate us as the people of God, whether we're of Israel or the body of Christ. It should permeate us deeply. Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send help from the sanctuary and grant your support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you to the desire of your heart and make your plan succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven. But with the, with the saving power of his right hand, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise and stand firm. O Lord, save the king. Answer us when we call. Our hope that Peter speaks of and that the psalmist speaks of is not in things. Our hope is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is always hope. And it never goes anywhere. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Verse 14. Do not conform. You know what it means to conform, don't you? Are you nonconformist? In the context of this verse, it's the idea of wrapping yourself around something else, particularly a teaching. So, do not conform, uh, as Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, I'll read it to you. It's the same word exactly when he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul and Peter are speaking the same idea. Don't wrap yourself around the teaching of the world. Okay? This conformity idea is that as the more you conform the image of what is on the inside, what you're wrapping, that thing you're wrapping yourself around, starts to show through you. 
Don't conform to the world. Don't conform to your evil desires. Don't wrap your life so tightly around those things. And as Paul said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed, metamorpho, metamorphosis, the butterfly. Become on the outside what you are on the inside. This is a, this is a, a rabbi's disciple's word that the disciples would follow the rabbi and learn from him and, and wrap their lives around his teaching so that the rabbi shone through them in all that they did. Peter and Paul say, don't conform to the world's teaching. Conform to the teaching of Christ. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the Holy Spirit's work within you. See, it's all about the mind and how we think and how we organize our thoughts. Facebook. Do you have a lot of friends on Facebook? Really? Do you have a lot of friends on Facebook? I get friend requests from people. I have no idea who they are. I get friend requests from people that I met maybe five or six years ago that we weren't actually friends, and I struggle with that because I think they're not really a friend of mine. They're an old acquaintance, and, and I, I admit it, I get a little suspicious. What do you want to be my friend for? What's the ulterior motive? What's going on here? And I'll tell you, part, this is partly you know, I, part of my thinking here. When Pastor Jim let me know uh, a month ago, he, he said, I'd like you to take this passage and I'd like you to preach on this Sunday. And I looked at the passage and I read it and I, and I try not to get too far ahead of myself on, on a passage. You know, I don't want to overthink it too much, but I thought, you know, this idea of friends and conformity to the world and inviting everybody in to be your friend and wrapping... I, I start, started to pay attention to what was happening in my mailbox. I have lots of folks want to be my friend just in the mailbox alone. And so in one month, I have received this many letters from people who want to be my friends. Visa, one main, visa, spring. I don't know, but it's time sensitive, and I better open it now. Um, <laughs> Capital One, Bank of America, Capital One. Capital One really wants to be my friend. Right there, look at that. Discover, you're getting the idea. I have so many. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Spend. Spend. Buy it now. Never mind the consequences. Does that sound like Christ? You were bought at a price. Honor God with your bodies. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. We don't live in ignorance, this passage says. We live in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It should change everything. Be holy in all that you do. Here Peter is citing Leviticus 9 2 and what follows, what the context of Leviticus 19, 19 2, is the, it's a precursor to the topics of the Ten Commandments. It's a, it's a restatement of the Ten Commandments. 
So Peter's drawing his Jewish readership back into an understanding that their God is holy and there are, there are, there are actions which display holiness. But, and the context also speaks to our attitudes and our thoughts that dictate our actions. This is, this is a morality. This is not the rule of legalism. Follow those rules. This is not that. This is the Spirit-led life of grace. Are you led by the Spirit? Or are you led by yourself? What is your personal philosophy of life? And how important is it for you to grow in spiritual wisdom? I had a fantastic class in my grad school program about growing in wisdom. Really challenged me to grow in, how to grow in spiritual wisdom. And I spoke about this with the senior high, and I think I spoke about this the last time I, I had a chance to, to take the pulpit. But I want to ask you again about your philosophy of life. What is real? What is your metaphysic? What are your metaphysics? What do you believe? Do you believe what do you believe is real? Um, as our worship team was leading this morning, I, I just thought, boy, that, that, that's great. Do I really believe that he is my king and that his love is amazing? Do I really believe that my Redeemer lives? Do I really believe that your grace is enough? Do I believe you enough to thank you and to be led by you and to follow you? Do you believe these things? Because then your epistemology comes into play, and that is, how do I know what I know? How do I know what I believe? We have God's Word to instruct us and to tell us, and we have enough experience as well as a body of believers to share how the Lord has moved in our lives. We see His power. We see His might. We see His, his grace. We see His love. We see Him moving in us and around us and through us. Be holy in all that you do. Peter is leaning more here into our axiology, our, our what do you value. When Peter is instructing us to be holy, to be holy in all that we do, he's asking us to consider our morality. Remember, it's about our thoughts. Consider our morality. Consider what is beautiful and how you would define it. Consider what is ethical. That's where he's focusing us. That's why I, I asked for our scripture reading to be Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have heard or learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice. Experiential, 
observational, but focus on what is beautiful, what is right, what is noble. Be holy. Be holy as He is holy. Be holy in all that you do. Concerning our philosophy of life, then what is our logic? Our logic, how do we organize our thoughts from our metaphysics and our epistemology and our axiology? How do we organize all of our thoughts and put them into a logical procession so that we can then practice, as Paul said, and live it? I guess what I'm, I'm trying to say is, how do we take what we believe and the evidence of where we know we believe it and all of the things that are beautiful and right and moral, and how do we take those things and do them? That's what Peter's asking us to do. Take what you know is right. Walk the talk. Walk the talk. An interesting thing here to me is if I look at my actions and I see what they are, and I really analyze my walk, I have to look backward and say, are the things that I'm doing that I have importance, are, do I really consider them important in my axiology? Uh, for instance, okay, would you agree with me that God thinks evangelism is very important? Okay, wait, one more time. This is, this is one of those non-rhetorical, uh, you can use your heads for this one, okay? Do you think that evangelism is important in, to God? Okay. So that means you are sharing the gospel on a daily basis. So in that situation, I have to stop and I have to say, well, is evangelism actually important to me? I say it is. I value it. I know it is because God's Word speaks about it, and I believe it to be true. But do I do it? This is what Peter's saying. Do it. Do you think it's important to grow in your marriage closer and closer to your spouse every day, forsaking all others, putting yourself aside, and growing as one. I hope I saw, yes, <laughs> yes. Why do you value that? It's in Scripture. And we know it because He speaks it, and I believe it. But when I throw my temper tantrums, when I want to get my way, doing it. I'm not valuing what's beautiful. I'm not valuing what is ethical and moral. So I either have to change my values, but I can't, because God has laid out my values. God has laid out what is true. God has laid out what is real. It's in His Word. Peter tells us what he's going to tell us, and then he tells us 
And he tells us, if we were to just continue reading, so we will conclude with Peter's words and not mine. Let's begin again at verse 13 so we have it all in context. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And the concluding thought for this chapter, and this is the word that was preached to you. If you're up for it, on your own time, look at the metaphysics. What does Peter believe is real in that passage we just read? How does Peter know what he knows in that passage? What is Peter stating is the value, what is beautiful, what is moral, what is ethical from that passage? How did Peter organize his thoughts logically on how we then must act from that passage? And then look at your life and through the lens of Scripture examine it as we all are called to do every single day. I was asked this morning, <laughs> all right, where'd you hide it? And I said, what? Where's the thing that you hid this morning? I want to try to find it. What a great conclusion. It's to be hidden in our hearts. That's where it's to be found. Let's tell them what we're going to tell them. Let's tell them. Let's tell them what we told them. In word, in deed, in action, and in life. By this, all men will know you are my disciples when you love one another. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we could be together. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is unsettling at times and it is hope-filling at times. It is glorifying you at all times. And Lord, we just thank you for the precious blood of your Son who redeemed us and who transforms us from the inside out. Help us to surrender in everything and become all that you have called us to be as individuals and as your people. 
We praise you, Lord. We thank you in your son's name. Amen.